Welcome to the Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. So, um, the whole series we're calling Steadfast. Steadfast. And that word steadfast, it's, it's about hanging in there. It's about enduring. It's about finding stability through the various seasons of life. And so ultimately, while we are called to grow and become steadfast, this whole thing is rooted in the fact that he's the one that's steadfast and he's the one that's faithful. Like I'm always gonna fall somewhat short of that. And so he's my anchor and my firm foundation and he helps me grow and mature as, as I walk with him daily. And so James calls us to be steadfast and he says that steadfastness will produce us becoming perfect. That's the English word that's in most of our Bibles there, but it's, it's kind of a, an inaccurate word. It like somehow communicates that we could reach a level of perfection and um, just want you to know you're not there and I'm not there and we won't get there. Um, and if there's a spouse or family member near you, they'll be sure to let you know you're not there. Um, but the word perfect, it doesn't really mean the way we think of perfect. It means mature. It means complete, um, grown up. And so that's what God call, is calling us to. And as believers, man, there is a massive need always, but especially in our moment in history, like there is a need for Christians who've learned to be steadfast and who've grown in maturity like the church needs it and the world needs it. The world needs it because they need a glimpse of Jesus. And so he's inviting us to grow and become more like him. So there's kind of an overview of what this whole series is about. So we've hit on different themes that help us grow in steadfastness, to grow in maturity. We've talked about not only being hearers of the word, but doers. Like it's not enough for me to sit in church and hear things and go, I agree with that, I agree with that, I agree with that. Hearers and agreeers doesn't change anything. Hears and doers, that changes something. It changes us and it touches the world around us. We're called to be hearers and doers. He invites us to walk out the law of love, the law of love, that the guiding anchor of our life is that we have received God's love and we walk in love with one another. We've talked about having a living faith, a faith that's not just mental belief, but it trickles down into my life and it leads to, to action. Faith that, that is real and alive. We've talked about the power of our words, how, how our words really do direct the course of our life. The words that we speak affect us personally, like how I feel, how I'm living, how I'm moving, and they definitely affect those around me. And so that power can be both for good and evil. And so we need to consider the power of our words. And then finally, last Sunday, we talked about um, what happens when we have a divided heart. And that often the quarrels and the, the problems that happen in our relationships really come from our desires being out of order. Our desires are in the wrong place. We have a divided heart instead of a heart that, that adores him, that is fixed upon him. And then his desires become our desires. And then that changes things. So that's where we've been so far. So this morning, we're gonna talk about being peacemakers, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a one-point sermon. <laughs> We're called to be peacemakers, the end. Dismissed, you can go home, you got it, 
Everybody's like, that'd be great. We get to lunch really fast. Well, we got a little more to say on the subject, but peacemakers, we're called to be peacemakers. And so point number one this morning is simply this. We have enough judges. We've got enough. We have enough people that are able to walk in judgment to communicate the wrongs that they see and hold us all to the standards we need to be held to. We have enough of them. The bench is full, all right? Now, we especially have enough of them right now in this day and age, but I, can I just tell you, like, the simple point here is there's enough because there's just one anyways. There's one judge. So we have enough judges. Let's jump into this. Um, James 4, we're at verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4. We kind of went through 1 through 10 last Sunday. So here we are, James 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We could say brothers and sisters. I'm not gonna pause after every sentence, but I just wanna highlight here, there is an issue with how we're interacting out in the world. There is. But I want you to see that James is talking about the way we judge each other. Like even within the family of God, the way that we speak words that tear down within the body of Christ. The place that's supposed to be life-giving, encouraging, building up, we tear down. And so he's, he's calling that out within the body of Christ. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. We'll come to back, back to that briefly in a few. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, if you've been, whether you've been hanging with us throughout this whole series or you've just been even absorbing the book of James on your own, on some level, these verses just feel like a part of stuff we've already addressed. And so, what we need to recognize is when someone seems to be repeating themselves over and over and over again, it means it's important and it means we probably need to hear it. It's important and we need to hear it. Here's some of the ways James has already been bringing up this issue in some form or fashion of how important it is to consider how we're treating each other. In some form or fashion, he's addressed this multiple times already in this letter. I'm not gonna read through all these. I'm gonna highlight them. They're in my notes if you wanna look back or you may already recall where we've covered these. But in chapter one, verses 19 and 20, he talks about how quick we are to get angry and to speak, to attack or defend ourselves because we're slow to listen. So we react quickly. Chapter two, verses one through 13, we did a whole message on partiality, how just showing favoritism, preferring some people over others, neglecting certain people, that that is a form of judgment. Showing partiality, playing favorites, preferring others. In other words, using people for what I'm gonna get out of it instead of serving and loving people. Chapter three, Crystal's message, just, just a couple weeks ago, broken speech damaging ourselves and others with broken speech. And then last Sunday, talked about quarrels and fights, how arguments, dissension, it breaks out through broken and misplaced desires. I'm craving something that I wish I had, or you know, they have something I wish 
like I wish I had for myself or whatever, just all those petty things that trickle in. Look at that, he's, he's repeated this like four different times. In fact, in chapter five, he's gonna mention grumbling against each other. <laughs> just that general complaining about like that annoying person who does that annoying thing over and over again. I mean, I've never done any of these things on this list, right? We're all good? We're good this morning? Okay. Yeah, James is saying, listen, guys, there's all these ways that we've got to be aware of how we're doing damage. We're harming our brothers and sisters. And, and it's harming us like it's harming our own hearts and minds. And so now look again at what he's saying. I want to really break this down in kind of three categories here. And so um, I've just broken this verse down to three parts. So look again here. This is from what we just read, verses 11 and 12. Look what he's saying. Again, he's addressing relational problems. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges. So a few, a few chapters earlier, he was just talking about general favoritism and how that's a form of judgment. Now he's talking about just harsh things we say either at each other or about each other to other people. That that's another form of judgment. And look what he says that accomplishes. Look at point B. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. He says, when we walk in judgment with each other, we actually put ourselves in opposition to the very law of God. The very standards we think we're holding people to and we're judging them for, when we stand as a judge, we judge them and we oppose God's very law. How could that be? I'm holding somebody to the standard of the law. Remember what James told us the law is all about just a few chapters before. James 2, 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the law? the law of love. Does evil, harmful, destructive speech, does that accomplish the law of love? Are we cooperating with his law? No, we're not. So not only are we in opposition to other people we are called to love, we place ourselves in opposition to the law. We've gotta be careful of this because in chapter two, he's saying, hey, you're breaking the law if you sit in judgment. Look how it continues. He says, you're doing well if you're loving your neighbors yourself, but verse nine, but if you show partiality, which is a form of judgment, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So he says in chapter two, you're breaking the law when you're judging each other. And now in chapter four, he's raising the stakes to say, not only are you breaking the law, you stand in actual opposition to it. You're judging the law. You're reading the law through your own lenses. You're deciding for yourself where people stand with God. And he's warning us to be careful. When we speak evil, tearing each other down, judging, gossiping, we're removing ourselves from the law and we're sitting in judgment. Had a, had a funny example this last night, actually. I'm sitting on the couch and we're watching a movie and my daughter Abby's sitting next to me and a character in the movie said, shut up. And Abby looks at me and she goes, I don't say shut up like another girl. And she stared at another one of my daughters, like <laughs> cut eyes at her. I was like, okay. And guess what? That other daughter heard 
And she didn't say anything, but she cut some eyes back. And I'm telling you, a lot was said through just some eyes and glares last night in the middle of this movie. But it was like, that was it. Like just the simplicity of my, my daughter, like that child, like, oh, I don't do that, but I sure know somebody who does. We laugh because we know we do that. I do that, man. I'm guilty of this. I hate that I'm guilty of this, but I am. We sit in judgment and somehow it makes us feel better about ourselves. It's like James is saying, don't you feel better about yourself? You need to be aware of what you're actually doing. You're harming that person and you're opposing him. You're taking over his job. He's the judge. See, here's the reality. We've become experts at this. We find loopholes so we can justify sitting in judgment of people. Oh, I don't do this, but then I find the little ways where it's okay for me to do that. And I label just calling it like it is. Does the judgment of man produce the righteousness of God? Has one person that the church has angrily called out and judged, do they come to the Lord because of that accusation? The scripture tells us we're drawn to him through cords of loving kindness. See, the, the, the third little point in there is that there's only one lawgiver and judge. We can pop this back up on the screen. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and look at point C, who is able to save and to destroy. He's the only judge that can actually take real action. He's the only judge that judges rightly and he's the only judge that can take action. He has the power to save or destroy. So I have a question for you. What does the one true judge want to do? Say it louder, somebody. Save, thank God. That's why we have Jesus. We've seen what his heart is. He judges perfectly. He sees beyond our wisdom, our insight into what's really going on with them, where they're coming from, what their issue or problem is. He sees it more clearly than we ever will. He sees them and he sees us for who we really are, faults, failures, and all. And the judge of all who has the power to save or to condemn, to judge, his heart is to save. In fact, the scripture says that he wants to save to the uttermost. He saves whosoever will. That's the heart of the judge. He's not looking to execute judgment. He longs to save and rescue. So friends, like point number one is simple. We have enough judges. We need peacemakers. We need peacemakers. So back to James, we're gonna go backwards a little bit. Crystal hit on this really beautifully, but I just, I wanna build on this a little bit this morning and talk about the need for us to be peacemakers. This is in James chapter three, verses 17 and 18. What's needed in the midst of the turmoil of our relationships, in the midst of the, the stuff we bring to the table that's just broken and wrong, what's needed? Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It's gentle. It's open to reason. Like there, there's actually room for dialogue. 
It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace to those who make peace. The thing we're actually longing for, things to be right, things to be good, things to be healthy, like that harvest of righteousness, it's like a bounty of goodness, a bounty of things being right, being healthy, relationships that are on good terms, that very thing that we long for, that we would love to receive and experience, what produces it? Peacemakers. Peacemakers who've received the gift of heavenly wisdom that enables us to walk out this purity, this peaceableness, this gentleness, this openness to reason. People being merciful, impartial, sincere. We have a beautiful picture of this in Proverbs 31. Like y'all know the beautiful picture of the Proverbs 31 woman? She's this woman who walks with graciousness in all that she does. Like men, we got something to learn from the ladies. Proverbs 31 woman, one of the descriptions of all the various things that highlight just who this woman is. It says in Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness the law of kindness, the law of love. That's what flows for her. And how does, she, how does she do that? She opens her mouth with wisdom. Well, the, the, the summary of this proverb explains how all of these qualities were developed in her life. Look now at verse 30, Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What's the beginning of wisdom? Anybody know? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She walked in the fear of the Lord. Above everything else, not overly consumed with her place and position, how she was perceived or seen physically or how she comes across in her personality, she wasn't caught up in the charms and the beauty that we so quickly elevate. Instead, she's like, what does he think about me? Who am I before him? She feared the Lord. She honored the Lord. And that began to produce wisdom in her life that brought about kindness poured out on others. We need peacemakers. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Friends, all too often we're sitting in judgment to each other, but we do more than that. We, we sit in judgment to each other because whether we realize it or not, we're sitting in judgment of God. That's, that's the hard thing that James is saying. And maybe you even initially resisted it. Like when you read him saying, like when I'm judging somebody, I'm also judging the law. You're going like, I'm not judging the law. Like I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to hold them to the standard of the scripture. Like there's something about it that contradicts us. But guys, we live in a day where we not only sit in judgment of each other, like massively, like it's, it's an epidemic, like judgment is pervasive in our culture. But friends, you know what else is pervasive in our culture? We sit in judgment of God. We've, we've changed seats. We've reversed the positions from where they're supposed to be. We have a generation that is trying to hold God accountable to our own standards. Well, I'll believe in him if he lines up with what I think is right. I'll decide whether or not to believe the Bible based on if it fits my grid of what's right and good. 
or what the current cultural moment is telling me is right and good. The real root of the problem, both outside of the church and sadly within the church, is we are trying to hold God to account instead of walking in the fear of the Lord and understanding he's God, I'm not. He created me, I didn't create myself. There's one God, there's one king, there's one judge. And if we want any hope of walking in healthy, right relationship with each other, we gotta get this right first. The first step to being a peacemaker is letting the judge be the judge and walking in, in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean scared to death of him. It's reverence, it's awe, it's respect. He's God, he's king. I wonder what he has to say about things. I wonder what he has to say about me and my life and what's happening in the world around me. What does he have to say? So I walk in fear of the Lord. We need to realize who he is and that he's the one that holds us to a standard. I was thinking this week, like, man, how can I communicate this well? Like, is there an example I can give? And there was something that kind of stood out to me um, just as an example of how easy it is to fall into this pattern of judgment. Um, is anybody in here familiar with what's been going on at Asbury, the revival that's there? If, if not, you know, you can look it up later. Um, it's, it's awesome seeing what God's doing. One of, the, one of the things that I saw in more than one place, you know, anytime we observe something that's taking place, you know, in a location with a group of people, you know, the church will come around and kind of like look at it, pay attention to it, try to understand what's happening, sort of analyze it. And so a lot of people, I think many with great intentions, but, you know, all across the spectrum, we're going like, what's happening there? And one of the things I thought was really sad, at first I was actually like, oh, that's kind of cool. I, I, this is a great perspective, is I was seeing over and over again um, a quote from the scripture about what was happening at Asbury and like as a great wise way to approach it. So I'll read this to you and tell me if you've heard this quote before in this instance or others. In Acts chapter five, there's a really similar movement that's been happening. In fact, it's the birth of the church. There was this explosion in Acts chapter two, the church is born. And then what was following that was like people coming to Christ in droves. And there was healing taking place, miraculous things happening. And the religious leaders of the day are like, they're not understanding what's going on and they're even a little bit opposed to it. And then in the midst of this gathering, they've just arrested some of the apostles and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And this wise guy stands up, Acts 5. We're gonna read verse 34 and then 38 and 39. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Verse 38, he's now talking. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Now listen, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what he's saying. There's something stirring. Something is happening with this group of people. And if we're too quick to come in and do something, like to snuff it out, or if we think it's wrong or it's a problem, like instead what we ought to do is we ought to sit back and just watch what's happening 
And if it's really from God, wisdom would say like, it'll, it'll produce something. There'll be fruit. And like everything he says, like it seems wise, right? Like let's see how it plays out. And if God's in it, it'll produce something. Like I'm not trying to trick y'all here, but like that, there seems to be some wisdom in that, right? Would you agree? Has anybody ever used even that quote before, seen others use it? It seems wise. And on one level, it is. Do you realize where that's coming from? A Pharisee in the room with other religious leaders is observing something they are not participating in and putting themselves in a place of judging whether it's right or wrong. And how quick we are, even within the church, to want to align ourselves with the right thought, the right opinion, to sit in judgment and go, let's see how that works out over there. So I just have a simple question. Would you rather be in the Acts chapter five room with the Pharisees judging what God is up to? Or would you rather get in the room in Acts chapter one before anything has taken place, before there's any miracle, there's any salvation, there's just people who love Jesus crying out saying, oh God, please, please, will you show up? There's just a faithful few who love you and who believe that you did die for us on the cross and that you were resurrected from the grave and that you are the hope of the world. And God, we have no other solution but to wait for you. We're waiting for you, for power, for authority, for help. And they waited in that room. And it says they were in one accord. There was unity. They loved one another and they sought God and they let the judge be judge, and they let the king be king, and they didn't sit back and analyze it or judge it. They got in and participated. God, we wanna be a part of your love pouring out to people who need it. Thank you, I've received it in my life. God, would you come and do a work in our day? Why do we settle for sitting back, for analyzing, for judging, for trying to discern what's going on. Friends, peacemakers participate in kingdom love. They participate in what God is up to. They let God be God. We walk in humility and the fear of the Lord and say, God, would you do something in my life? God, would you do something in my family? Lord, we need some peacemaking right in my home. Me and my wife need some peacemaking. Me and my children need some peacemaking. Sadly, all too often, peacemaking in my house is two kids are yelling at each other, so dad shows up and yells some more. That works really good, doesn't it, parents? We had great success with yelling at our kids to get them to be peaceful. <laughs> it's my confession like this, we fall into this stuff so easily. But what will change things is people who become peacemakers. How do we do that? I wanna close with just a few verses from Jesus. Don't know if you remember me mentioning early in the series that James' letter, it both mirrors the Proverbs in a lot of ways, but it, it really builds upon the Sermon on the Mount. So much of what James talks about is like him further fleshing out and unpacking for the church what Jesus was saying in his Sermon on the Mount. And so in Matthew chapter five, 
fact, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven kind of are the Sermon on the Mount. But as Jesus is opening that sermon, we, we have kind of this, these, these famous little sayings that he starts out with called the Beatitudes. I, know, I knew you were gonna laugh. In prayer this morning before service, Andrew in the middle of prayer stopped and read the Beatitudes. And I just sat there quietly and didn't say anything. Here we are looking at some of them. Matthew 5, seven through nine. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers look like their father. A son or a daughter bears the image of their parent. Peacemakers look like Jesus. Peacemakers look like our heavenly father. Jesus commands a blessing when we walk in mercy. He commands a blessing when we have a purity of heart, just real sincerity. There's a blessing when we determine to be a peacemaker and not a judge. He expounds on this some more. I'd encourage you, there's a lot of richness in chapter five to read on your own. But I'm gonna go down to verse 43 now. It says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father. See, being a peacemaker even means bringing peace in relationships where it feels like I have an enemy. That you may be sons of your father who's in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. He knows how he's handling everybody here on earth. He's calling me to be like him, to be a peacemaker. You know, when he says, like, when he says we need to love our enemies, you know, I think we just need to be honest with ourselves about the fact that often the enemies in our lives are actually people that are close to us. Sometimes there's like that person out there, but often our enemies are like right in our own home, right in our own church family, right at the job site. It's the people that are close to us that we have conflict with, that we fight and war with. And Jesus is saying, love your enemies. That's how you can be a peacemaker. Continuing on, verses 46 and 47. For if you love, love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. See, even people outside the church can find their little huddle where everybody agrees with them and love those people. How are we any different if we've just found the few people we agree with? Then we run half of them off too. We're called to love. Not just sometimes when it's hard, but especially when it's hard. We're called to be peacemakers. And then to like summarize the whole point, Jesus finishes with this. I mean, it's a command. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Wanna guess what word that is right there, that word perfect? It's the same one we've been studying in James, maturity, completeness. He's not holding us to an impossible standard but he's calling us to grow up. Listen, it's all right to be a child when that's where we are. 
you know, if I don't know Jesus at all, like that's a starting point. Like God, the gospel is you've made peace with me. Thank you. I wanna receive your mercy. And then as I'm walking with him and I'm growing in him, like I'm gonna stumble along the way. Maybe I'm a toddler in my faith. Maybe I'm a 10-year-old in my faith. Maybe I'm a teenager in my faith. But the point is we're called to grow in Christ. We're called to grow in maturity. We're called to, to be people who start to look more and more like our Father in heaven, sons and daughters of the King. And being a peacemaker, man, that's the heart of God. The essence of this is found, um, I feel like Paul does a great job summarizing this in his second letter to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Anybody feel like you just need a fresh start? Like, man, sometimes challenging messages like this, I mean, you might think it's hard sitting there listening to this. It's really hard studying it all week long going, I am not qualified to talk about this except for to say, I need help. The good news is in Christ, we're made new. If this has been hard to hear, just recognize he offers a fresh start. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Who's the original peacemaker? Christ. He reconciled us. He brought us near. He enabled us to be right with God. And now he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's just another way of saying peacemakers. That is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. What did he do? Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, the basis of our peacemaking is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, on his behalf, at great cost to himself, reconciled me to God. It was the ultimate act of sacrificial love that made me right with God. And now I can have right relationship, right standing with him because of the great love of Christ. And now he's calling me and he's calling you to be carriers of the ministry of reconciliation. People need an encounter with Jesus. People within the body of Christ need an encounter with Jesus. Do you ever think about the terms the Bible uses to describe us as the church? Like I just said one, we're the body of Christ. Why is that significant? Because I need a hug from Jesus every now and then. I need the tangible experience and expression of the love of Christ. And we're never gonna be perfect in that sense of the word of like perfection, but we are called to maturity so people can experience a taste of the love of God. So within the walls of the church, we're building one another up and encouraging one another. We're being carriers of the ministry of reconciliation right here. Like what a great place to practice other people who recognize their need for the mercy and grace of God. Those are the very people I should be extending mercy to. We should be learning to work out our problems with one another, not writing people off, not bailing, not ghosting people, leaning in into real relationship to love well, to own what we need to own, 
and to extend mercy where we need to extend mercy. Ministers of reconciliation. Man, how beautiful is it when the church is operating like that? By the way, I've experienced a lot of that within this body. This message this morning isn't, wow, we're blowing it as a church, we're not doing this. Part of what I love about this body is I feel like we experience a lot of this. I'm just saying, let's continue to grow. Let's grow. Let's mature. Let's embrace being peacemakers and watch what happens in our midst. And then, man, does the world around us need this. It needs the love of God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You thought about that? God is making his appeal of mercy, of grace through you and me. Am I letting him do that? Am I letting him communicate his desire to make peace with people? Am I letting him communicate that through me? Does my life speak that? That's what we're called to be ambassadors of. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, no more judging. We don't need more judges. We need peacemakers and ambassadors. That's what the church needs. That's what God is looking for. I wanna close by reminding you of James 3.18 again. What comes from peacemakers? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness with God is a gift that he gives. We can receive it and experience it. And then we can begin to walk in right relationship with one another by his grace. A harvest of righteousness. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And then he said, pray to the Lord of harvest to send laborers. Being a peacemaker, it's labor. Forgiveness is always costly. Look at the cross. It's costly. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to extend mercy. It's hard to humble ourselves and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And when I say the words, I'm sorry, and I look somebody and say, will you forgive me? I understand what I'm asking. Sometimes we think we're just asking them to like, let it go. No, we're asking them to pay a great cost. I hurt them and it costs them something to forgive me. But thank God that we can extend forgiveness because we have first received it at great cost to him. The ultimate peacemaker has brought me near, has gifted me right standing with God. And now he wants me to grow and be like him, grow in maturity and be a peacemaker. Anybody feel like we ought to pray after that? Anybody feel like maybe we need a little help to grow in this? Yeah, by God's grace, we can. Let's pray. Lord, we, we wanna do what you said. Lord, we're praying that you would raise up laborers for the harvest. Lord, that means we're praying for ourselves to become peacemakers. God, we just pause in this moment. And friends, I'd encourage you to do this if you need to. If the Holy Spirit has made you aware 
just in the course of this message or even now in just a moment or two of silence, if he has made you aware of ways that you've judged God, maybe that's what he's putting his finger on, that we need to return to walking in the fear of the Lord, or maybe we've judged one another. Lord, we just bring that before you. We acknowledge it. We confess it. God, we repent. We turn away from it. Thank you for your forgiveness that you freely give. Thank you for your mercy that's new every day. Thank you that we're a new creation in Christ, as we just read. God, where we have walked in judgment, would you forgive us? And God, we choose right now to get off of that seat. We choose to remove ourselves from the throne of judgment to give you your rightful place. God, would we go out of this place as peacemakers and as ambassadors? As we have been freely loved, may we choose to walk in love with one another. Thank you for the wisdom to do this that comes only from you. Thank you for the gift of wisdom as we walk in the fear of the Lord, as we let you be judge and king. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen? Amen.